Well, good morning, everyone. It is such a joy to be here, to be back. Uh, I was here two years ago, and uh, by the way, can I just say how amazing this room looks? There's been a renovation since I was here last. It looks amazing. The parking lot looks amazing. But you know, I want to tell you something else that looks even more amazing than that. And it's what I'm looking at. I was, I was around when Pastor Mike came here. And I was here two years ago. And now I'm back to see this. And the only thing I can think of is, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. So it is a great privilege uh, for Pastor Mike to be my friend and for me to be able to play any small part in his uh, ministry that he has had here. And uh, to be able to be back with many of you is just a great joy. So thank you for, for having me. And I want to ask you if you'll turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. As you're turning there, I'd like to share with you uh, something that happened several years ago to me now. I had a friend of mine who reached out to me. You know, I, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and you know the Kentucky Derby is raced there, and there's a lot of activities around the Derby. One of them is a mini marathon that people from all over the, the country come and run. And I had a good friend of mine who was about 10 years older than me who runs mini marathons, and he reaches out to me and he says, hey, I'm coming to run the mini in Kentucky for the, for the Derby. And um, you're going to run it with me. And I said, no. <laughs> he says, yeah. He said, I'm going to pay your way. You just need to train and meet me at the race. And uh, just remember, I'm 10 years older than you, so you should be able to go do this. Now, I am a fairly competitive person, you need to know. So he knew just how to push my buttons to make me to say yes. And so I did. Active person, I was running in things, but I would never dream in a million years to run 13 miles at one time. <laughs> but he convinced me to do so. So I trained and got ready for the race. And we met, we raced, ran it, ran it together. And we started off, it was going well. Beautiful day for that particular day in the spring. But as you're going, I was starting to feel it. Because even in my training, I probably had done about 9 or 10 miles at one time. I had never actually completed the 13 miles. So I thought this would be the best time to do it for the very first time. <laughs> and we're running and I'm really starting to feel it. And I, I realized how important it was that I actually had somebody running with me. That was important. And we're running and, and then you hit the hills and then you wonder if you're even going to make it. And then your goal is to just finish. Well, we finished the race, we crossed the finish line, and I just want you to know, in all sincerity, I ha did not care less what my time was. <laughs> I felt a great sense of accomplishment that I even finished the race, and I'll have you know I dedicated to the Lord that day I'd never, ever run 13 miles again. <laughs> and I concluded it was best, 13 miles is best covered in a car, so I have done that quite a bit since. Now, whether you run mini marathons or whether you only run if someone's chasing you, we all have to understand this dynamic of a race because several of the New Testament writers uses this metaphor as a way to help us understand the Christian life. And specifically, they use this metaphor because they know 
that Christians, all Christians in this fallen world, grow weary in the race. So what are we to do when we grow weary in the race? This seemed to be an appropriate passage since it doesn't matter where I go, there are Christians weary. I want to ask you, are you weary today? Are you weary in the fight? Are you weary in the race? Is your faith weary? I just want you to know I believe that that God in his word can speak to that today. And I think we find it in Hebrews chapter 12 in particular. We're going to look at the first three verses. Uh, Before I read those three verses, I just want to highlight for you where this is in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written for two main purposes, to exalt the supremacy and the glory of Jesus Christ in all things. And the second part of Hebrews' purpose is that that truth about Jesus would help these struggling, discouraged, and weary Christians to be able to press on. See, they were, they were tempted to, to go back to Judaism and reject Jesus. So the writer's writing to them saying, press on in this race. It's worth it. And some of you may know that Hebrews chapter 11, the whole chapter is this kind of faith chapter. All these Old Testament saints that they persevered in their faith, and the writer just names them one by one and why their faith is what caused them to be able to continue on and persevere to the end. And yet, they didn't know what these Christians knew. They, they didn't know that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and be there and them know him personally. So Hebrews 11 is leading up to chapter 12. It's saying all these Old Testament saints, they persevered in their faith, but they had not received truly what was promised yet. And then in chapter 12, he appeals to them. So when he says this great cloud of witnesses at the beginning of 12, he's pointing back to Hebrews 11 and all those people that were mentioned there. So in light of that, let's read chapter 12 as it flows into it. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is God's word. Amen? Amen? Let's pray and ask God's help in this moment. Lord, we come and thank you and praise you, for you are worthy of our praise. We thank you that Jesus is enough for us to persevere. And Lord, we ask that you would give us spiritual eyes of faith to see that from your word today and use your word to help us to persevere through the difficulties, the sufferings, the challenges that each one face in this room who are growing weary. Strengthen us today, O God, we pray. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Notice the very first word of verse 1 is therefore. 
Do you know what question you're supposed to ask when you see therefore in the scripture? What's, wow, this is a well-taught church. I like that. What's the therefore, therefore? It's there pointing back to Hebrews 11. Therefore, because of all of these Old Testament saints that persevered and yet had not received what is promised, therefore, because of them, you can persevere. Therefore, since we are, verse 1, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Because of that, there are three ways we see in this text that we can persevere. Three ways. And here's the first one. Let us lay aside stumbling blocks. Let us lay aside stumbling blocks. There was a strange show on television many years ago called American Gladiators. Did anybody ever see that show? Where contestants would run a race, but it wasn't just a sprint. It wasn't just about speed. It's called American Gladiators because these gigantic muscular people would have things that they would try to hit people as they were walking by. There were pads on them, but I'm sure it still hurt. And they were trying to get past them to win the race. So it wasn't just about speed. It was about having to avoid the, the stumbling blocks and the things that would knock them down as they run the race. That's really what the writer of Hebrews is referring to here. But he's talking about there are stumbling blocks that we all face in our lives here because we live in a fallen world. And because we're in sinful bodies. And those stumbling blocks can discourage us and keep us from running the race. So what does he mean by these stumbling blocks? I think there's two things. If you're taking notes, you can write down about this. Two stumbling blocks he's referring to in the race of the Christian life. The first stumbling block is every encumbrance or every weight that is mentioned here. Let us also, verse 1, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. So those are the two things he mentions. Now, some might say those are the same thing. But he says every weight, and then he refers to, to sin. So every weight, is, it doesn't seem to be referring to just another kinds of, of sin. It seems to be something different. That there are sins that's, that create stumbling blocks in our faith, certainly. But there's also something that maybe is not inherently sinful, but also creates stumbling blocks for us. What are those things in our life, I wonder, that aren't inherently sinful, but maybe don't help us run the race? They maybe discourage us and keep our eyes off of Jesus and on other things. They can be good things in our lives, that the, but the imbalance of that can make us stumble over them. But then he clearly says the sin that so easily entangles us is also a, a stumbling block. We see that in verse 1. There are sins and allurements in our life, just like the Christians that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. For the writer, for the Christians in Hebrews, it seemed to be the things that were wanted to draw them back to Judaism, draw them a, a, back to their old life and away from Jesus and away from pursuing him. See, what happened to these Christians, many of them Jewish, many of them Jews were following Christ, and there was persecution and suffering that came as a result of them leaving their, their life of Judaism and going and following Christ. And as they're persecuted and struggling and suffering, they're asking the question, is this worth it? So there was an allurement back. Something was pulling them back. Do you think about what maybe sins that so easily make you stumble 
in the Christian life. What are those things for you? I think they're different for everyone, but it's important for every single one of us to know what that is before we can know how to deal with those sins in particular. So we have sins, we have every weight that makes us struggle. What do we do with the sins? Well, we do what the gospel tells us to do, is that when we confess and we repent and we turn to Christ, we are completely forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Christ. I was a pastor for 25 years before I started doing this ministry, a full-time about three years ago. And one of the things that burdened me as a pastor and was certainly true in my own life is, is how much we can know the gospel here and how much we still walk in the shame and the guilt of our sins from the past because we do not truly let go of them. And I want you to know that Paul writes to the Romans and says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you walk with guilt and shame because of past sins, even struggling with sins in your life now, we're, we're not called to just walk in the guilt and shame. We're called to, to confess them to the Lord. Be quick to confess and then walk in the forgiveness that is given to us in Christ. Even those sins you struggle with often and regularly, the enemy tells us that was just one too many times you committed that sin. And we question whether God forgives us. Friends, there are clear stumbling blocks that we will always have in the Christian life. When you stumble and you sin, confess, repent, and then walk in the freedom that Christ promises every one of us. And that's how we deal with the sins that so easily entangle us. But what do we do with the, the every weight, the, the things maybe that aren't sinful but maybe cause us to stumble? Let me just throw a few things out for you to be thinking about that you might have in your life that might fall into this category. These are all things, by the way, that are, that are a part of my life. I'm a big sports fan, so my sports teams, actually I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan. I'm born and raised in Indiana, but I live in Kentucky. And for Father's Day, my children got me tickets to the Colts game this next week because they love me. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. We have our sports teams, don't we? I'm on social media. I mean, I'm on social media in a, in a certain kind of way. I, I realize there's many difficult uh, toxic things about social media, but I've tried to find a way to use it for ministry and use it for good and try to be mindful of that. I watch things on Netflix. I have hobbies that have nothing to do with my Christian life because I just enjoy them. None of those things are bad in themselves. But do you realize any one of those things and it put in the wrong place in my life becomes a stumbling block to walk with Jesus? And it's the same for you. So embrace your hobbies and your sports teams and the things you do to enjoy your life. But make sure they're in their proper place. I think that's really the, the stumbling block he's referring to here that's maybe not inherently sinful, but is something we definitely need to be aware of in our own life. Here's a great question to ask yourself about those things. Is our affection for those things helping us run the race or is it hindering us to run the race? And I know people 
who courageously get off all social media when they realize social media hinders their walk with Jesus. That's a bold and courageous thing to do. Can we agree some people get a little too fanatical about their sports teams? Maybe a little. Be mindful of whatever it is in your life. But I think that's what he's pointing to. The sins which so easily entangle us and the, the weights that keep us down unnecessarily. Let us lay aside stumbling blocks. To be aware of them and to, to lay them aside and to continue to press on in the race. That's number one. Second way we persevere in our faith when we grow weary, is that we is to let us run the race. Number two, let us run the race. We see this in verse one, if you take your eyes there. He says that clearly, he exhorts, let us run the race. And the, the writer's using this, this analogy to help them understand, but also to realize that this is something we're doing now, and it's something that we're supposed to finish at some point. That's why the race metaphor is helpful. And there's three specific things, I think, that we're commanded to do as we run this race. We find the first one in verse 1. We need to know the race that's set before us. Look at verse 1. That a Christian is to run the race that is set before us. That's referring to our lives is the, metaphor, is, is the race. It has a beginning. It has an end. But you know, there's that pesky part in the middle of the race part that we got to all do together that makes it hard. And we, which means we got to know what the race is that is set before us. I want you to know, as I was running that mini marathon with my friend, there were times I was like, wow, this is, we're doing good. Nothing's going to stop us. And then like 30 minutes later, I'm wanting to just quit completely. Is that not the Christian life sometimes? That's the race that we're in, which, by the way, this is a good time to acknowledge. Notice the, the two things I've already given you, the, the let us. Did you notice that in the passage? It's, it says let us. Who's the us? It's us. We're not to run this race alone. I, I was a pastor for 25 years, and I travel all over the world working with pastors and churches. I have yet to see any Christian thrive by themselves. It's why we need a local church. It's why we need other Christians around us. It's why we need, a, we need pastors to care for our soul. We're supposed to run the race with others. Because when they get weary, you can help pull them with you. And when you get weary, they pull you. We're to run this together. And let me pause here for a moment. What, who comes to mind for you when I say that? Who, who comes to mind for you when I say you... You can't run this race without others. Who, who leaps to your mind of how God's used somebody in your life to help you run that race? If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to just write, write a name down and reach out to them today or sometime this week. Reach out to somebody this week and say this to them. I heard a sermon that encouraged me to do this. You can totally blame me. You have helped me run the race of the Christian life. I'm not sure I could have done it without you. So thank you. And you never know what's going on in their life that they need to hear that they impacted you in that way. I am here today only because your pastor asked me to run this race with him. And I gladly wanted to do that with him. 
And I'm here because of that, and really only that. Who is it for you? Reach out to them, either today or this week, and encourage them with that. But here's the second thing he says about running the race. we got to run with endurance. Look at verse 1 again. We have to run this race with endurance. Do you know what the wonderful things about running and what it does? The more you do it, you know what happens? The more you build endurance to keep running. So how do we build endurance for the race? You just got to run the race. Did you, ever, did, you know that, did you know that just living the Christian life day by day the best you can, you're actually building endurance for the race? See, I, I knew tons of, of, of people in my congregation who would come to me depressed, discouraged, feeling like they were just failing miserably in their walk with Jesus, and they're in a really dark time. And not only do they think they're not moving forward, they think they're moving backwards. Have you ever felt like you're moving backwards in the race? But when the darkness lifts and whatever suffering and struggle is they're able to come out of, they're able to look back and see not only did they not move backwards, they seem to be further in the race they thought they were before. Why is that? Because regardless on how you're running the race, if you're running it, you're building endurance to keep doing it. So if you can't run the race, you know what you're supposed to do? You can walk. Do you know it's okay to walk in the Christian life? Okay. What if you can't walk? What if it's so bad I can't even walk? Then you should probably crawl. And I'm here to tell you if you hear anything from me today, hear this. It is okay to crawl in the Christian life if that's all you got. It's just okay. You know why? Because let that baby who just started crawling teach you something. They make progress crawling, don't they? You can make progress in the Christian life by just crawling. And then one day as you keep crawling, you're building endurance as you're crawling. And then you'll get back up and walk and maybe even start running again. But I don't believe anybody goes backwards in the Christian life if we're truly running the race. We may be walking, we may be crawling, but we are building endurance as we walk and crawl and run in the Christian life. Here's a third way we run the race. Uh, under this. So we run the race with endurance, and we run the race looking to Jesus. We see that in, uh, in verse 2. Notice the very beginning of verse 2. And that's probably maybe the most significant way that we run this race, to lay aside the stumbling blocks. How do we keep going, even crawl and walk, if that's all we can do? We look to Jesus. We keep our eyes on him, not our circumstances, but on, on him. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus. We run the race looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Why do we look to Jesus in the middle of this race that we're running? Because it's through his perfect life, his atoning death, his glorious resurrection, his eternal reign, that we can know something really important about the race. You know what it is? The prize for the race is already won. Did you know that? The prize is already won. It, it was actually, it was purchased, really. It was purchased when he laid down his life for us. 
The prize has already been won. We just have to run, walk, crawl, whatever it is, and finish the race. I told you this before, I truly meant it. When I got to the finish line, I did not care at all what my time was. Give me the trophy for finishing. And you know what else? It didn't matter what place I finished in. It's just that I finished. The only requirement of the Christian life is to just simply finish and finish as well as we can. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to finish this race in a certain time, nor do you have to finish in a certain place. You just have to finish. And some of you are suffering and sick and struggling, maybe at the end of your race, and it's okay to do all you can to just get there in the best condition you can. We still get the same prize because it's not based on what you did in the race. The prize is based on Jesus shedding his blood and laying down his life for us. Can you imagine how easily it would be to run a race when we know somebody's holding our trophy at the end of it already? We just got to finish to get it. So when we grow weary, we need to fix our eyes and look to Jesus because he reminds us in what he has done and who he is. He's with us in the race and he is the one that is, will help us to complete it and he is the one holding the trophy for us at the end. Which leads us to the final way we persevere in our faith when we grow weary. Let us consider Jesus. Let us consider Jesus and we see that in verse 3 in particular. And there's a couple of things that verse 3 tells us to consider, to be mindful of. The first is to consider his joyful suffering. I want you to notice that with me in verse 3. Verse 3. Consider him, sorry, let me find it. Consider him who has endured from sinners such hostility against himself. This also takes us back to verse 2. Look back at verse 2. His, about Talking about his sufferings are described as that he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus was a perfect man without sin. He never harmed anyone, never sinned against anyone, never sinned. And it was, he's the one that endured the, the pain and the suffering and the shame that always came with dying by crucifixion, which is what he did. And it was not just a brutal execution, which crucifixion was. It was actually a public humiliation and the cruel treatment of his executioners all on Jesus that he did not deserve. And that's why he's saying, consider Jesus, his sufferings. He suffered, but he didn't deserve to, but he suffered for us. And do you know that's not even the worst part of his sufferings? We had to add to that when Jesus died on the cross. The full righteous wrath of God upon sin fell upon Christ. And that is how he completely satisfied the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And then he rose from the grave to vindicate that work and to give eternal life to all those who had just come to him and placed their faith and trust in him. He says, consider his joyful suffering. He suffered physically on the cross and he suffered spiritually the wrath of God as he bore 
our punishment for our sins. And it says he did it joyfully because he knew what he was accomplishing when he did it. And he was obeying the Father's desires. See, these suffering Christians in Hebrews, they, they, they had lost sight of Jesus' suffering. They had lost sight of what he had truly done for them. Which is why the writer then says, do not forget. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Consider the one who suffered for you so that you did not have to. And he simply says, look to him. Consider him and it will help you finish the race. He also says to consider his eternal reign. Do you notice that in verse 2? Look down at verse 2 with me. Jesus endured the suffering and the shame of the cross, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know what that means when he sat down at the right hand of God? It's a position of authority with the Father. Jesus reigns eternally. He will reign over the universe forever now. So him being seated in that position shows the authority of Jesus over all things and over all of our lives. Let me put it plainly. For Jesus to sit down at the right hand of God in this moment in regard to the race, do you know what it means? He rules over the race in your life and the race track also. So naturally we should consider Jesus since he's the one that determines the race we're in and even the track that we run on. So what's the result of all of this? If we would do these things, let us do them together. What's the result? We find it at the end of verse 3. Would you look there with me? It says, Consider him who has endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that, the reason, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. That's, that's the result. Brothers and sisters, have you come with a weary faith today? A weary body maybe? A weary mind and heart? This is the answer to it. To lay aside the stumbling blocks, and run the race, and consider Jesus as you run that race in particular. Regardless of your struggle, whatever it is, it's to look to him, to fix your eyes on him, what the writer of Hebrews is reminding these Christians who are tempted to turn away, and he's reminding us this morning of those who are maybe so weary and struggling and suffering, we're asking, is this worth it? The writer of Hebrews is reminding them profoundly it's worth it. And Jesus has lined all this out for us. We simply have to run, and run. we can't run, we walk, and when we can't walk, we crawl, and we keep going to the finish line, fixing our eyes on him, and he will get us to the finish line. But he is the answer. So keep on in whatever way you need to, whatever you need to lay aside in the stumbling blocks. Look to Jesus, and I want to emphasize, look to each other. Look to those around you to help you. Ask for help. Find a safe person in your life to be able to say to them, I, I, I need you to help me. I need you to walk with me. I just need you to pray for me. But being willing to ask for help is the acknowledgement of what is being said here. Let us do this and let us do that. I know of no 
lone Christian that thrives. And I don't know how many make it to the finish line. Look to each other. Fix your eyes on Jesus together. And we are promised, friends, that regardless of what we face, Jesus will help us to hold fast until the end. So let me pray for each of you in that way. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and his steadfast love for us as sinners because he came and endured the cross and despised the shame and he did it joyfully out of his love for us, out of his desire to be obedient to what you've asked him to do. He is a worthy savior. So Lord, help us to look to him Fix our eyes on him. Even as we come to this table in a moment, use this physical reminder, Lord, that he is worthy and he is enough for us to finish the race and to finish it well. We ask this in his name. Amen.